I kind of approached her with the idea of like a trial separation in mind. And she countered that by suggesting that we open up the relationship. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non-monogamy. However, everyone approaches this a little differently, and in its core, our show is about hearing and learning from different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, it's important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily represent those of our own. It's also important to remember that we aren't doctors or therapists and that we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on this show. We should also let you know that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language. So, if that kind of thing offends you, you should probably keep listening until it no longer does. If you're under 18, we'd suggest finding a different show or gather up your parents and listen as a family. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 27. We're Finn and Emma. Yay! Another week we remembered our introductions. Yep, we'll get good at this one day. Yeah. Today we have an interview with Christopher, who has a really unique story and some fascinating advice, I think. So it's a different interview than we've done in the past, and we hope everyone enjoys it. Yeah, it was was jam-packed with goodness, Mm -hmm. and we had a great time. So thank you to him for taking the time to talk with us. And let's see. Oh, first thing we wanted to say... um, this show can't happen without people like Christopher, who reached out to us via our email, and Vaughn, who reached out to us in our email, and pretty much all of our other guests reaching out to us and, and sharing their stories, or even better, just reaching out to say hi and give us feedback and tell us what you think, or just saying hi. And yeah. We, we respond to every single email we get, and we love getting emails. So send us emails, send us messages on Twitter, and we love to interact with people. Yep. You can find us at normalizingnonmonogamy.com or under Twitter or Cassidy this, under the screen name NNM Podcast. And while you're there, uh, go ahead and click on the links. We've got a couple of resources that we've mentioned before that are resources that we love to use and we love seeing other people use them. So the first one, uh, we're trying to get more and more people getting tested for STIs. So it's stdcheck.com. Uh, rather than go to your doctor and make an appointment and wait weeks to get your results and find out if insurance is going to cover it or not, go to stdcheck.com. You get $10 off, a full panel screening. You make an account. You get. You can basically go in, get tested the same day you make your account. You get your results usually the next day or the day after. Mm-hmm. And it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Yep. What else? The other resource is Cassidy. This is a dating website that you can meet other people exploring non-monogamy. You don't have to date them. No. You can just be friends with them. Or just have sex with them. Either. Uh, But if you listen to the show, you've heard us talk about it before. If you're interested in giving it a shot, you can go to our website and use that link for a free 30-day trial. You can also leave us a review on any podcast platform and get a free 90-day trial. So please check those resources out. And then please check out our interview, which is starting right now. Oh, now that we nailed that shit. Well, thank you for for reaching out via email and our website to say hi and introduce yourself to us via email. But for anybody who wasn't reading our emails, do you mind introducing yourself to the listeners, a little bit of your background and who you are? Certainly. Um, well, first of all, thank you for thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, I've been pretty excited and and uh, it, uh, it was great that you uh, that you let me on. Um, so my name is Christopher. Um, I've been poly for about three years. Um, and to expand by poly, I mean polyamorous for about three years. The best way I describe my relationship style is relationship anarchy. But I assume we can get further into that in the interview. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. About how old are you and about where you're, do you live, if you don't mind sharing that information? Oh, well, I'm 33 and uh, I live in, in Michigan. Okay. Okay. Right. I think that just helps the listeners get a yeah. little bit of a feel for who you are. Right, right. Yeah, so how did you end up getting into poly and are you, I guess, currently um, single? Are you? Do you have partners at this time, or what, I guess how do things look right now, and and how did you sort of get here? Uh, well, how as for how I like came into polyamory, my story 
I feel is kind of interesting because a lot of the um, a lot of the resources that I go to for information about polyamory say that the way I got into it is the wrong way to get into it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but you didn't that find was... that out till after, right? <laughs> right. Nope. And it's worked out nicely for me, so hey. maybe I'm the exception to that rule. Okay. But there's there's always outliers, right? Right. So how I got into it was uh, my wife and I were going through some issues. We're having a, a hard time in our marriage. And I kind of approached her with the idea of like a trial separation in mind. And she countered that by suggesting that we open up the relationship. And at that time, we had no idea what polyamory was. She was just suggesting like um, seeking other partners and kind of exploring that. So we decided to do that. And we got on like online dating sites and dating apps. And that led us to the term polyamory. And then we started researching that more and then decided that that was definitely the relationship style that we wanted just because the um, the communication is very open and very free-flowing and we talk about everything. And that was an aspect of our, of our relationship and of our marriage that we that was a very strong aspect between us. Mm-hmm. So we liked having that kind of dynamic because we wanted to communicate and, and share what we were going through. Right. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would... You, you'll hear a lot of times people saying, if your relationship is struggling, you're definitely not going to want to try to save it by getting into swinging or polyamory or opening your relationship. Was there was there something about the way that your relationship was maybe not working so well that you thought that this would be a solution rather than something that was going to enhance those difficulties or magnify those difficulties? I think the thing that drew us to um, non-monogamy rather than just uh, breaking up was we kind our relationship kind of always had a bit of an element of non-monogamy to it. Even before we were married, we had an agreement where we could talk to other people online and even um, like over webcam, even do like camming stuff with other people just because we were both super interested in that and having gotten married kind of young because we had been married since 2012. So I was about 25 mm-hmm. at the time and she's five years younger, five years younger than me. Um, so having gotten married kind of young, we both were interested in kind of connecting with other people. Um, and even back then it was separately. We didn't really have much of an interest in connecting with other people together. So we had that going and then we had some troubles in our relationship with, I wouldn't say infidelity necessarily, but just like getting really close with other people and and bordering on cheating. And, uh, so with with kind of all those elements, it, it, it sort of made us realize that monogamy probably wasn't the right thing for us because that was even going on when we were completely happy in the relationship. We just knew we needed something more. And I, I, I think that's why she suggested non-monogamy rather than breaking up. And at that time, I wanted to do anything to possibly salvage the relationship. So I figured it was at very least worth the try. Right. So at that time, she didn't have like someone in mind where she had this guy sitting on the side or this girl, I guess I'm assuming here, but um, that she wanted to open it up for that reason. It sounds like you guys started exploring it together, sort of on a equal playing field. Yes, that, that's, that's right. Um, no, she did not have anybody on the side that she was looking to, um, to pair up with. No. Okay. And so oh, I was, I was just curious, how did, I guess, how did those first couple months or year look in terms of the journey for you guys? It was, um, I'll try to stick to my my perspective on this. It was very difficult for me. One of the trends that I've noticed, at least for myself, but I've heard other people in the polyamory lifestyle, for lack of a better word, a lot of male-identifying individuals, which is how I identified when we entered into this, have trouble meeting partners because there's an assumption out in the world that men tend to be you know, cheaters and infidelities and, and the men are the ones that are going to be lying about a non-monogamous lifestyle. So it's it's been my experience that it's much, much harder for me as, as a male presenting person to find other partners. So at first, it was very easy to, for her to find other dates and for her to be going out all the time. Mm-hmm. Plus, at the time, I had just started going back to school for veterinary medicine, which I'm no longer going for. But so the, my workload at school was was really, really heavy and was really, really hard. So I spent so much time studying and so much time enveloped in school that I didn't have the time to devote to dating either. So for the first 
I would say six months, it was really hard on me because she was getting out there. She was having these experiences and, and I wasn't getting to have those experiences. Yeah. And that was the yeah. hardest part. I didn't wrestle with jealousy so much about the other, because she was looking for men at the time. I wasn't jealous of the other men. I was jealous because I wasn't being able to have those experiences. Yeah. Mm. Kind of the, just fear of missing out. Like you are, you're stuck in the, at home reading a book and studying and she's out having fun. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I think, okay. I mean, I would definitely want to get more into it, but maybe before we go too much further, I think people might be curious. You're, you keep referring to her as your wife, and you're here yes. by yourself. Is mm-hmm. there maybe something to elaborate on that to maybe fill people in on why you're talking to us by yourself versus together? Yes. So it kind of starts with what I, what I mentioned a little bit ago, where um, we... Our journey in this lifestyle is very separate. We look for partners separately. We're relatively open to the idea of having like a third person in our relationship, but that's just if it happens. Um, it would have to be a coincidence. We don't actively search for that. So our journeys in the lifestyle are very different. But also, I've kind of recently made the decision that I'm going to devote a large portion of my life and my career, my future career, to advocating for the polyamorous and non-monogamous lifestyles. So this is a journey that I intend to go very deep into. I'm studying to be a psychologist. I want to be a therapist that's poly-friendly. And I want to advocate. I want to do interviews. I want to be out there speaking. So most of my, I'm figuring, most of my speaking engagements in the future are going to be solo, are going to be just by myself. Mm-hmm. So she and I talked about it, and she said that she'd be willing to come on with me if I really wanted it. But I just thought that as my first step into that like career and into that journey, it'd be back if I kind of set out on my own to begin with. And then in the future, if she wanted to come around and kind of give her perspective and things like that, we'd be open to it. But we just kind of figured that it was best to for me to do this first one by myself. Sure. And so everything's amicable. There's no hard feelings. There's no anything going wrong at this time. Everything is moving along. Happy for now. Um. No. Yeah, we are very happy. I can, if you'd like, I can kind of give some information about how our relationship has kind of developed throughout this journey. Yeah. Sure. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Okay. So like I said, at the beginning, we, we entered into this because we were having difficulties and it was largely like feeling disconnected and just kind of drifting away from each other. So at the beginning of our journey, we decided, again, we we're going to do this totally separately, go on our, go out in our own ways, kind of do a journey of self-discovery because we noticed that our relationship from the very beginning developed together. We were kind of one entity and both of us kind of lost our own sense of self. Mm-hmm. So we decided, let's do this individually, go out, rediscover ourselves, reconnect with ourselves, and then we could come back together and try to reconnect the two of us and see how things go from there. So we entered into Poly in the fall of 2014, and right in the beginning of the summer 2015, we came back together, and we're like, okay, where does our relationship stand? And we both were still kind of in the heat of discovering ourselves and... Um, so we, we sort of just decided that it wasn't the right time to really focus on us. And we wanted to focus on our friendship. So at that time, we actually um, decided, um, completely mutually, decided to end our sexual relationship. So we disconnected physically completely. We wanted to focus on being friends because that's where we started. And we wanted to build from there. So we still lived together. We still held on to the marriage exactly as it was before. We just let go of the physical element and decided to focus on friendship. And that was kind of, excuse me, that was kind of the best thing for us because we did do that. We did reconnect as friends. We started hanging out together more, kind of going out and doing things together more. And, and that, I think that really benefited us and it really made everything um, go by a lot more smoothly. And then we made the move, we actually moved. We were in a house before, we moved into an apartment so that I could start going to school. Shortly after moving into the apartment, we came back together again and discussed it again and we both decided that we really liked the idea of being best friends more than being husband and wife in the traditional sense so we haven't given any thought to divorce that we don't think that's in our future at all we like the relationship the way it is and if that were ever to come up it'd strictly be if one of us found a new partner that we felt we more um wholly connected with i guess i'll say then we might visit that topic. But as for right now, we decided we want to keep the relationship status as it is, but we want to focus on more on 
continue focusing more on just being best friends and we feel that's what we've always been. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. And every one of those conversations has brought us closer because we've, uh, you know, we've really talked it out and we've really discovered we're on the same page. We both want the same thing. And it was, I feel it was through polyamory that we've really been able to come together and have those conversations without holding any kind of like animosity toward each other, without either of us feeling like we were missing out on anything. Yeah. Um, so I credit non-monogamy and, and, and specifically polyamory for us having the courage and having the opportunity to discover that about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And I think a lot of people was probably mind blowing to hear that that's, I, I guess it's just not something you hear very often. So I think that's really cool that you guys have made that work and that it seems to be working great for you for at least what, two or three years at this point. And there's no, doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Yeah. Right. Uh, I wanted to focus a little bit. You said back when you guys first started into it, it was hard for you in the beginning because yeah. you uh, were in school and she was out a lot more and, you know, you were trying to um, find other partners. Has, how has that evolved over the last, I guess, three or four years, three years? Well, it hasn't evolved a lot in the in the sense that um, in the in the years that I've been poly, I've only had one partner uh, aside from my wife, and I've you know I'm I'm relatively active periodically on like Tinder and OkCupid, um, trying to meet people specifically OkCupid because it's by far the most friendly to the nominal community. It just hasn't I just haven't connected with anybody. Yeah. Um, but what's changed? I feel the reason why I don't hold the negativity anymore is I kind of credit my education in psychology for it a lot because I started to learn techniques and I started to learn more about what jealousy was and how to really think and think about and consider jealousy as more of um, a personal insecurity um, rather than it being, you know, the, the partner doing something wrong. Um, so I was able to, you know, to do some self-reflection. And that's when I really discovered that the jealousy that I was feeling at that time wasn't that she was going out. It wasn't about the other people that I, I, that's when I discovered that it was about me fearing like I was missing out on something. Mm -hmm. So she and I came together and we discussed that aspect of it. And I said to her, you know, I just, I want as much information as possible. Everything you feel comfortable sharing. I like you to tell me everything about it because I want to feel good about what you're doing. And I want to feel good about what you're experiencing. And for me, the best way to do that was by talking it out. And, yeah. her and you can and almost, and you can almost share in it and after and in, in the in discussion about it rather than feeling right. like you're missing out completely. Right. Yep. And that's when I discovered compersion and how beautiful that is. Yeah. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, compersion is, well, I'll define it as the, the positive feeling one gets when their partner is experiencing something happy with a partner. Yeah. Right. It's probably the simplest way. Yeah. Um, Thank you for doing that. No, yeah, yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm. So over the over the past few years, it, it sounds like you've had one or you know, maybe a couple other partners. Has she also had limited success, or was she a little more active? And have have you largely been able to fend off the jealousy and everything, and and move through the space fully in, I guess, compersion mode? <laughs> <laughs> um, to varying degrees, she's been far more successful than me. Yes, she, she meets people rather regularly. And like I said, to varying degrees and intensities, she'll engage in relationships with, with a lot of different people throughout the, throughout the years that we've been doing this. The most consistent would be a partner that she met, met um, only a couple months after we started. It was actually, um, she reconnected with a friend from her um, high school years. And they kind of started dating and things got really serious really quickly. And this was just as I was discovering compersion and, and feeling positive about relationships. And it was then that I discovered that I really like to meet my metamors. I really like to meet my partner's partners. So I said, you know, bring him around. You meet him. And he was willing to. So I got to meet him and we became friends pretty quickly. Like we connected right away. And like I said, early fall was when we went into polyamory. Christmas Eve, that partner moved in with us because he was having some housing issues and we needed help affording where we were staying. So Christmas Eve, so about four months into our journey, he moved in with us. Wow. And it was from day one, it was like, it was beautiful. He and I, she, he lives with us still 
and we're pretty close friends. We talk all the time and it's, it's a really amicable situation where we all help out with chores and all help out financially and, and just support each other. And that's when it really clicked with me that I really like Compers and I really like uh, my partners being happy. And uh, meeting Metamorphs has been one of my favorite parts of the journey, actually. <laughs> have you, I think that's one, do you have any follow-up? No, yeah, that's, I mean, that, again, I'm sitting here just kind of like mind blown because the, the <laughs> stuff you're saying is like, you hear about like, oh, the, I guess when people talk about the negative or they, they hear, oh, somebody's in a polyamorous relationship, they would mm-hmm. almost jump right to sort of your story and how that could never work. But it, but the fact right. that you guys are making it work is, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I think it's super cool too. And, and that it's, it's, it's unique and that's how it works for you guys. And no one can tell you that that's wrong or right or whatever. And like you said, right. I'm sure from reading, it might not be the most traditional path, but mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't matter if it works for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to ask, you know, have you, I'm assuming you're, um, we'll get into the coming out story because I think you mentioned you were out to most people. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, when you talk to people, um, either potential partners or your wife talks to her potential partners and that you tell them about your relationship style as far as, um, you know, mostly friendship based, has anybody, I guess, how have people reacted to that? Have most people been really accepting of that or has it been something that people have questions about? Um, well, people interacting with me, it's largely been curiosity. As we've kind of, or as you've kind of said, it, it's a pretty unique, I won't say unique, but it's a pretty interesting story. And most of the, not pushback, but most of the interaction that, we, that I have gotten has been really, that's how that works? Tell me more about it. I want to know about this. Like, I haven't heard that before. And um, so mostly I just get like questioning looks or, or just questions in general about how it works and, and, and what our connection is exactly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure what... Um, what she has gotten. We haven't really discussed that from, um, from her potential partners, but that, that's what I've gotten. Yeah. But I was also curious, uh, along, kind of along those same lines, you know, if you have told family and, and friends about it, do you almost get the feedback of like, she's ta- she's the one on the winning end and you're the one that's sort of uh, the loser in the situation where she's got two guys and, and she just kind of cast you aside and replaced you with him. I, I can see how maybe people without understanding it fully, that's, that would be the perception is that, you know, she's kind of taking advantage of the situation. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I have gotten that. It kind of depends who I'm talking to. If that person feels like they're supposed to be more in my corner, like my family, then that's very much the direction they come from. Like, she's taking advantage of you, you're only doing this to make her happy, kind of comments like that. If it's mutual friends, then they see us both happy and they're completely happy with what's going on. Right. And they know my perspective where I'm happy with uh, with the situation that we're in. And then, I mean, I haven't gotten much information from people who feel that they're in her corner, but yeah, it kind of depends who it's coming from. Um, but yeah, a lot of people do see it as um, she's the lucky one. But then when I'm in school and I talk about it, all the guys in class think that I'm the lucky one because I get to go sleep with whoever I want, which of course isn't the isn't the idea behind this at all. But that's uh, that's how random people in my classes see it. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> I can see that too. Um, yep. I guess this kind of naturally leads. Do you mind telling your coming out story of what you kind of outlined in your email to us? Oh no, not at all. I'd, I'd love to talk about it. I, it's a beginning like coming out i felt like it was really negative it was a really bad situation i would say with my with my close friends they knew about it from the very beginning my close friends is like one or two people they knew from the very beginning they were up to date the entire process that we were going through they knew everything about it so of course they were very positive and supportive from the very beginning i'd say the first person that i came out to would um, be my younger brother and his response was very much, it's your life, do whatever you want with it, I'm happy for you if you're happy, this isn't a big deal. The next came my parents, and that was a very different uh, experience. <laughs> uh, I set aside a block of time, uh, we were living next door to my parents at the time, and that's kind of why I felt I needed to come out to them, because they were seeing um, my wife with her partner around the house a lot. At this point, he had moved in with us already, so they knew he was living there. 
So I knew that they had started to suspect that she was regularly cheating on and that I was stupid and blind to all of it. So I was, I, you know, that on top of the fact that I like to be open and honest with my parents, I was like, okay. It was about a year after we started into our journey in Polly. I was like, okay, I need to sit down with that and talk. So I set aside a block of time, sat down with them and talked to them about it. And the reaction, the way I interpreted the reaction at first was very negative. There was a lot of pushback. My family is religious. So they were saying that it's against our religion and that it just wasn't right. And kind of the overall message that I got was, if you're not happy, why don't you just get a divorce and move on? Yeah. And my reaction to that was simply, why would I, if we still love each other and we are still in love, we just want to move beyond that and and change the dynamic of the relationship. Why would I want to lose somebody that I love just because tradition says that this is not how it's supposed to be? And they didn't see it. And kind of the agreement was just don't talk about it. But that didn't sit well with me because this is who I am. And I, I need my family because I'm close to my family. I needed them to understand. So from the beginning, I started talking about it kind of slowly more and more and just kind of working it into conversations. <laughs> and uh, today they're we haven't come back together to officially talk about it, but they're a lot more positive with it. Um, I've let them know that they're, they're very much aware that this is what I want to do for my future. I want to work with poly couples. I want to do poly research and all that. And they, they're supportive of that for sure. And slowly they've kind of connected with my metamor, with my wife's boyfriend who lives with us. So like I said, we used to live next door to them. So we'd have kind of joint barbecues in the summer and he'd be out there with us. And probably the most memorable story for me was we were at one of these barbecues and we started playing Frisbee. And my metamorph came out and he and my dad started interacting, which I would say I got a lot more pushback from my dad than I did my mom. Um, and they started interacting and it kind of grew from there and they started talking more. And today, if my wife and I go over there, they'll ask where he is and I will make sure to send food home for him so that he gets something too and, and stuff like that. So we haven't officially talked about it, about the comfort level with it again. But they seem to have come around quite a bit, and they seem to be a lot more positive about it. And then as for everybody else, I just kind of am open. In all my classes, I talk about it. I study psychology. Well, my major is psychology. My minors are queer studies and human sexuality. So we broach the topic of queerness and of the LGBTQIA community quite a bit. So I'm always bringing it up in my classes and always talking about it there. At work, I just tell everybody about it. It's my relationship. If they don't like it, they can deal with it. But I'm aware that that's kind of a privilege on my end that there's a lot of people who can't come out like that. Right. So I kind of like the idea of blazing that trail since I have the security to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So one thing you touched on a little bit was sexuality and, and the sexuality aspect of this. Mm -hmm. When you guys decided to open your marriage up, did you guys both explore outside of the heteronormative confines of the marriage or were you both pretty much just looking for opposite sex partners throughout the journey that has certainly evolved for me um for my wife she's been confident in in, in her uh, sexual identity for as long as i've known her which is I, i'm sure i can say which is bisexual for me i was shortly after becoming i started identifying as um the term is slipping my mind right now um heteroflexible so up to that point, I had strictly considered myself heterosexual. But then once, you know, I was open to more opportunities, I was like, well, I could, you know, I feel comfortable possibly exploring with men. Let's see where this goes. To this day, I still haven't had any experiences with men, but I've come to realize that I truly identify as pansexual in that to me, it doesn't matter what the person's body looks like, what they are what they were born with, what they've had surgery to alter. Nothing of that matters. All I want to do is connect with a person on an emotional, on an intellectual level. And if there's that connection, then the sexual element tends to come along with it. Um, so today I'm attracted to just about everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess one question that maybe comes up when you say that is if you haven't had any sexual experiences with men or anyone other than women, how are you able to feel that way or know that you've evolved to that point? Um, mostly it's just for my interest um, okay. and what, you know, the type of person I know I'm interested in. And of course, sexuality is fluid. So there's the possibility that in the future I could um, 
you know, have a physical relationship with a man and, and realize and decide that that's not at all what I want. Sure. Um, and then I would, you know, come back and reassess where I stand with my sexuality, given those experiences. And then if it changes at that point, it could change at that point. Yeah. Um, I just know at this moment in time, I'm very much open to a relationship with, with anybody. Very cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's awesome that, I mean, the journey you've gone on in the last four years has been, I mean, discovery that most people wouldn't have in a whole lifetime and you've you've done it all in like three or four years that's pretty amazing (laughs) it's been very intense that's for sure i was gonna say i bet you look back at the last four years and be like wow did that really happen (laughs) yeah and i and i definitely attribute that largely to again my education and going into the field of study that i've gone into and and kind of deep diving into um queer issues and things like that has really opened my eyes to a lot. Um, I mean, even, I didn't mention it already, but even my gender identity has changed significantly and several times in those past couple years. So coming into poly, I completely identified as male. I didn't quite even realize that there were options outside of male and female at that time. And I was 29, 30 years old when that happened, when we started this. So it was one of my first psychology classes was psychology of gender. And we started to really discuss gender and, and um, the societal differences between the two and how gender is a social construct. And I started to realize, like, okay, so I don't have to identify as male. And more recently, I've kind of looked back, but this was going through my head at the time. I just couldn't identify it. But more recently, I can look back on it and say that I realized my entire life, I have actively resisted being identified as male, largely in our culture and especially in my family there are a lot of messages about all men do this all men are bad all men are cheaters and those types of messages and because of i feel largely because of that in my childhood i would react very negatively almost with hostility with if anybody ever suggested that i was a normal guy or a normal man i would really actively resist that looking back now i can kind of place that in a category of well that's I never really wanted to identify that way anyways. So today I actually identify as non-binary. My gender is non-binary. Okay. Do you mind explaining a little bit what what that entails? Certainly. So the, I won't say that the um, idea of gender variance is new. I know it's been around for several decades now, um, but it's kind of rapidly expanded recently. So there's a lot of ambiguity in some of the terms and a lot of blending and mixing of a lot of the terms. I chose gender non-binary because when I chose, when I, well, I'll say when I realized this identity, I realized it because I didn't identify with either male or female. And I was actively resisting the social construction of it and the, the need for humanity or for society to draw these boxes and force people into them. And I actively resisted that and did not like that at all. So that's when I decided that non-binary was the identity that fit for me best because I didn't want to be identified as either. I wanted to be removed from all of it and just disregard the idea of gender completely. And then actually in the last few weeks, um, I don't remember what exactly triggered it, but I've done some more self-exploration and realized that I've kind of identified with a lot of female characters, particularly in romance movies like... um, think like Nicholas Sparks type movies. Um, mm-hmm. I've kind of always identified with the female character and never really realized that was happening. Um, at the time, I thought that it was my, I was being attracted to that character. But looking back, I, I realized that I was trying to emulate those characters a lot. By that, I mean, um, oftentimes the, the female characters in these movies are identified or as, are as portrayed as kind of like whimsical and aloof and, you know, uh, a term that is commonly used with them is uh, not not your normal girl or not your ordinary girl, um, something special, that kind of thing. And I've always kind of wanted that. I, I didn't want to be a normal guy for sure, as I already said, but I never knew exactly what I wanted to be. I just knew I wanted to be unique. And that's oftentimes how those characters are, are, are portrayed. So I've been doing a lot of watching of those types of movies and uh, listening to like coming of age romance novels with <laughs> with queer uh, characters and and realizing that I identify with the female character a lot and that's kind of helped me to reaffirm that this does really fit as my gender identity because 
I'm realizing that I can identify with female characters and not feel weird about that because I can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. So for those, I guess, of listeners that might not know, when you when you say you identify as gender non-binary, mm-hmm. what pronouns do you ask people to use? I have I've put a lot of thought into that, particularly in the last couple months. And especially because the school that I go to is very open to um, your chosen name, your chosen um, pronouns, chosen gender. They're very receptive of it. So in most of my classes, we get asked what pronouns we we, um, identify with. And I have continued to identify with he, him, um, he, him, his pronouns. But I'm leaning toward and and starting to consider the idea of using they, them pronouns. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't made an official switch because I'm still considering the implications of it and the ramifications of it. So where I'm at right now is kind of my friends will use they, them or he, him interchangeably. And I'm comfortable with that. I don't feel an, I don't feel an intense need to have my pronouns switched. But the more comfortable that I get with this gender identity and the more realizations I have, like the one I described having recently, mm-hmm. the kind of closer I get to using they, them pronouns. Yeah. Have you received any, I guess, let me back up. Mm-hmm. How have your friends and, and family, if you've told them, reacted to that, the fact that you now identify as gender non-binary have has most people have most people been very open to that and and also i would say your wife as well yes exactly good call (laughs) (laughs) my friends have been very receptive um but most of my friends are within the queer community and um, several of my friends have identified with gender variants for a while now since i've met them actually so in my friends group it's very commonplace to have non-binary genders or any kind of gender variants and they're all very accepting and very active and like uh most of them are poly and and stuff like that so they're very understanding um i have not i've actually have not come out with my family about my gender identity until very recently i haven't been comfortable enough to even consider it Mm -hmm. um comfortable enough with my own identity I've, i've been wrestling with it as i said so I haven't been comfortable enough to even have that conversation. Yeah. I'm starting to get to that level of comfort, and we'll see what happens when I do. I feel, knowing my family, that it's going to be a lot easier for them to hear that than it will than it was for them to hear that I was poly. So I feel like I don't, or coming out to them as poly first kind of pushed everything else to the side and makes is going to make everything else easier. And then, like at work, I'll talk about it, and everybody's pretty cool with it. And I haven't gotten any real harsh pushback or any any real strong feelings toward it my wife is very supportive i will say that definitely very supportive um and i can talk to her about issues that i'm having and and talk to her about the journey that i'm going through so we haven't discussed uh we haven't discussed exactly how she feels about it. it hasn't been a conversation that we've had um anytime that i talk to her about it i feel very supportive or very supported i should say and i feel like she's being very positive about it but it hasn't been an, I can't like, it hasn't been an official conversation that we've had or an in-depth conversation that we've had for me to say exactly what she thinks about it. Yeah. Um, but I think the important part is that I feel supported. So. Yeah. I think that is the important part. And it sounds like you have a good network between your wife and your friends. And mm-hmm. it, like you alluded to, it's something that gender is fluid and sexuality is fluid too can be. And so it's something that takes time to figure out and may change throughout lifetimes. And I think that's something that is a little bit of a foreign concept for a lot of people to even think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, w- I was curious to going way back in time to, mm-hmm. <laughs> early on in the conversation about the way that you guys decided to approach opening up your relationship. Um, You know, a lot of times when people start talking about this, they start off with a whole bunch of rules and they want to, the, they want to make sure everybody's being respected and there's no issues. So they lay out maybe more rules than they need. It sounds like you guys almost just kind of, shook hands and parted ways and said, I'll see you on the other side in a couple of months and wherever we're at, we're at is, is that sort of how you went about it? Or did you guys discuss a whole bunch of rules and guidelines to start with? When we first started, we had a lot of rules. (laughs) We discussed a lot of rules, regulations, and, um, uh, to varying degrees. And then shortly after the beginning is when I started reading the book, uh, more than two, by Franklin Vaux and E. Rickert. And they really talk about, in my recollection, they lean heavily on don't have rules, that that's just going to restrict people. It's just going to create like hostility. If I remember correctly, that's what they say. 
And I hear that message a lot listening to various podcasts and reading other books and, and doing my own research and stuff like that. You come across that message a lot, the, uh, the don't have rules message. And I don't personally, I don't expressly feel like having no rules is the best way. Um, I think it's more how you communicate those rules and how you negotiate those rules and um, how I think it depends largely on the dynamic that you have with your other partners. But that's a huge conversation. That I could go out of that for a long time of right. uh, how we started. Yes, was a lot of rules, but very quickly we disregarded almost all of them. Um, I think the last one that we held on to that I held on to, I should say, because again, in the beginning, she was having all the success and I was the, the slighted party. So I kind of imposed some, some regulations to make myself more comfortable. And one day I was sitting around kind of being mopey and I had the thought like one day I'm going to meet somebody, I'm going to have another partner and I'm not going to want all these rules imposed on me. So why am I imposing them on her? And looking back, I feel like they were silly things. And I, I was had started to say the one we held on to was, you know, no having sex with somebody else in, in our bed. And then that went out the window as soon as her um, her partner moved in with us, which, again, was only like four months into the relationship. And I was like, it was even before that, I think. But I was like, yeah, that rule silly. Go ahead. And right. then, I mean, we started sleeping in the same bed. So that was super silly to have that rule. And that was kind of the last one. But I say that. Of course, there are still rules around sexual health and, and um, uh, safer sex and those kinds of rules and, and have, you know, wearing protection. And we have a discussion before we fluid bond with somebody and, and those kind of rules still exist. But I feel like those rules are important in any relationship to mm-hmm. have. So those are kind of relationship rules that everybody should have and not exclusive to poly. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't see those as, as hard and fast, like rules for specifically our relationship. Yeah. What, what were some of the rules early on? If, if you don't mind us asking just a couple, uh, you have to list the whole book. <laughs> the only one I remember was the no sex in our bed one. The rest of them were so silly that I just disregarded them completely at the time. And I don't remember them now. Um, I think it was just rules that make sense for anybody but like, let me know where you are and be home by a certain time. And, and, um, it was largely just rules to control what she was doing and, and give me a sense of comfort in the fact that I was controlling it. And that's, that's why I realized that they were to me, silly rules that we didn't actually need They were, I was just holding on to an artificial sense of comfort that I didn't need anymore yeah. because I was comfortable with her relationships and with her exploring. So that's why they kind of went out the window right away. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to to just being courteous to to your partner and other people. Like, yeah. just just have some common thought and, and be courteous to people. You know, if you know you're going out somewhere and you you're not sure when you'll be home, tell them that so that they aren't expecting right. you at a certain time and things like that. You know, right. I think too. You know, one thing I wanted to touch on was you, the way you mentioned you, you guys opened it up and then you came back together four or five months later to discuss where you were at. You know, in that meantime. I imagine you guys, like, you were still living together. You were still husband and wife. It's not like you didn't talk to each other for for four or five months. You were, I'm assuming, still checking in, and I'm Mm -hmm. out with so-and-so. I mean, you were doing all the things that you would expect a courteous and loving partner to be doing. And Yep. Okay. So I I think maybe people might have got the misinterpretation that, like, again, like I said, like, you guys made this decision, and then you kind of broke from the huddle and then never saw each other (laughs) until four months later. Oh no. Like I said, um, we chose Polly because we wanted to communicate about the relationships. So we, every time she came back from a date, she'd tell me all about it. Tell me all about the guy or if it was somebody I already knew or knew about, she'd just tell me about what they did. And so we were always communicating and she asked me if I had met anybody on um, Cupid or anything like that. And so we were always communicating and of course, communicating about the house and our jobs and, and all the stuff that two people living together would talk about and, you know, how to go out and have fun together and stuff like that. So we were, even though I said that it was months later that we came back and had like the official talk about the the state of our relationship, we were still discussing our relationship all the way through. It just was, I feel it's important to sit down and have a specific conversation where we know ahead of time, we're going to talk about the relationship and, and how do you want to handle things? Right. Yeah. And and uh, just one other small thing, you you mentioned mm-hmm. 
the whole sex in your bed thing. It sounds like mm-hmm. now all three of you share one bed, so you just get like a super big bed, or how how does that look logistically? I'm just just nosy. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, it's actually the opposite. When we moved down, when we moved so that I could go to school, actually, so my wife and I could both go to school, we got a uh, a three bedroom apartment, so we could each have our own personal space. We each have our own bed. Pretty much ever since um, she and I discussed um, discontinuing the sexual part of our relationship. We've stopped sleeping together. We stopped sleeping in the, in the same bed because we, it was never really discussed, but my interpretation of it was we decided that um, kind of breaking off all the intimate physical contact was, was best at first. And there have been a few times when we made the night about us and we had our date night and then we would sleep in the same bed just to cuddle and have that kind of closeness. But yeah, no, they sleep in the same bed every night. Um, but no, we don't we don't usually sleep in the same bed, the three of us, very much anymore. So you need a king bed for sure. Yeah, <laughs> or two king beds pushed, pushed together. <laughs> it's just three people. Come on. <laughs> we so, had a uh, when we first started like sleeping in the same bed, we had a queen, and that was very very cramped for sure. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it gets cozy with two people some nights in so. a queen bed. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when the dogs want to sleep in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was also curious. I think there might be the, the misconception, or, or maybe it's not a misconception, that because you guys ended the sexual aspect of your relationship, that you're no longer attracted to each other. Is is that something that you guys have explored at all or talked about? Or was that, like, was there hurt feelings around that when, the, when you brought up, like, well, I think we should end the sexual side. I can imagine... If my partner told me that, I would feel immediately like, oh, I'm not attractive to her or to him. Was that something you guys had to to battle with at all? I think that my wife battled with that quite a bit more than I did. She has mentioned it once or twice that at first that was there for her. But again, I don't really want to speak for her side. Um, That was just a a comment that she has made. Um, But when we had the conversation to end the sexual relationship, she had already discussed it with her therapist and I had already discussed it with mine. And, and that was without even talking to each other at first. And I think that largely that's why this has worked and why this unconventional path into polyamory has worked for us is because we've been on the same page the entire time and just been afraid to talk to each other about the things. So with the eliminating sex, the reason that we have shared with each other was that, like I said, we feel like we're more best friends than we are um, romantic partners in the traditional sense. So it, I feel like the, the sexual relationship kind of got to a point where it was almost kind of awkward because we had started to see each other as best friends. And, you know, in a best friend relationship, entering a physical element is really awkward and really weird. And that's more where it got. It wasn't so much about not being attracted to each other. It was about a shift in the dynamic of the relationship and us having to realize that that was what happened. Which, of course, is one of the reasons why I think non-monogamy and polyamory are amazing is because we had the comfort area to explore that without having to say, you know, we feel like best friends. Let's just break up and never see each other again because we can't have sex anymore. We were able to say, let's just eliminate this and see what happens and explore this part of our relationship. And turns out that that has worked really well for us. And, and yeah, so I don't think it was so much about uh, lack of physical attraction as it was just that wasn't where we were in our relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it sounds like, too, if you, that you guys came there together was mm-hmm. a big part of that being successful. I imagine if if one of you came to the table and said, hey, I don't ever want to have sex with you again, and the other person was like, uh, no, then that probably yep. wouldn't work real well. But since you guys both kind of came to that realization at the same time, mm-hmm. it, it seems very natural, which is, again... I think people listening will think that this is so backwards, but it, it's 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 a, to me it's still amazing that it's working and and it, that you're as happy as you guys are, and I'm very happy for you. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing to hear about. Uh, I wanted to ask too. You mentioned you had um, you've had one other partner, but you've dated around a little bit on the dating apps and such. Uh, have you feel, I guess, do you feel that you've had some success, uh, in, in meeting other people? I know you mentioned you haven't necessarily clicked with like one person, but, um, do you feel overall, I guess, comfortable with where you're at right now with your other relationships? Real quick. I just want to say one more thing about the last topic that we were on and then I'll definitely answer that. Uh-huh. Uh, 
I think that it worked out really well that we were on the, that we happened to be on the same page and we were able to make it work so easily because of that. But I'm also a firm believer that with like proper and with like um, um, empathic communication that you can really get through anything. So I think that if it had been one of us coming to the other and saying, I'm no longer interested in this because our communication is so well established and we, we know how to communicate so well, I, I think we still would have been able to get through it. I just want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was definitely convenient that we were both on the same page and it made the transition very, very smooth and immediately we were both comfortable with it. So that was definitely beneficial. Thank you. I think that's a really yeah, good point. I am. Uh, to, to answer the question of, of if I'm comfortable where I'm at, if I'm happy where I'm at, I, I am comfortable where I'm at. I would like to meet another partner. And, and um, of course, I have like uh, um, an idea in mind of how many partners and all of that. But I've reached a sense of comfort with being happy with where I'm at and not needing to force anything and not needing to be hard on myself about not having something. So I have, I have a very strong sense of peace with I will meet somebody when it's time for me to meet somebody and when that connection arises but I'm not going to be down on myself. I'm not going to force it. Right. Um, so I've, I've made changes like putting myself out there more. I tend to get discouraged with dating apps very quickly, very easily. So I've stuck with it for probably the longest that I've ever stuck with it. And I'm like, I just have to stay out there. I have to keep trying. And then I've made it my goal this summer, since I don't have any classes, to get out and try and connect in the in the poly scene in the area and, and meet some more poly people, be out there, just put myself out there so that I can meet people because of right. course that's angel to meeting somebody. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I haven't, I definitely am not, I would not say that I'm unhappy, not by any means. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't catch any fish if your hook's not in the water, right? Yeah. Very so, <laughs> true. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned, um, the community, like amazing communication that you and your wife have. Mm-hmm. How did you guys learn that? Like, do you, attribute that to just the way your relationship worked and the way who you are or was it that you both like worked it out in therapy together or apart or I just I think people are always fascinated and myself included actually about how you learn your communication style and how you go about you know fixing or changing things that you know that aren't the best about how you might do something or say something right I think that she and I just have kind of clicked together from the beginning. We've always been able to communicate very well and we've always been very open with each other. She's a very, she, she's a very honest person and very forthright. And she jokes sometimes and says this to a fault, but it's definitely a very positive characteristic of hers. So she doesn't hide things. She doesn't hold anything back. And I don't either. So we've been lucky in that we've always kind of clicked in that. So I can't say where that came from exactly. It's just, mm-hmm. um, but more recently, um, and through some of the harder times, like I said, I've been studying psychology. So we cover a lot of how to communicate and things like that. One tool that we have because of both my therapist and my journey in, in the study of psychology is um, uh, a, a contribution by a psychologist named Harville Hendricks. And it's intentional dialogue is what it is. So if people want to look it up, it's intentional dialogue by, um, by Harville Hendricks. And it breaks down exactly the, the, the best way to communicate. So it starts with like mirroring, where um, if I'm the person who feels slighted or it can be used for a positive thing. So if I'm the person that's happy with something, we designate a time to sit down and discuss that thing. So I'll start by saying I felt this way about this thing. And then she mirrors that by saying, okay, what I'm hearing is you're saying you've been hurt by this, uh, this specific thing. And then there's a communication back and forth to make sure she fully understands what I'm saying. It's met with validation. So she responds by saying, okay, that makes sense. I can understand that because of this. Then you follow that up with empathizing. So then she would, once I'm confident she understands where I'm coming from, she would say, okay, so you feel like, you know, you feel hurt or you feel like this because of what we're talking about and then it gives me a chance to answer yes that's exactly how i feel so the whole and then the last thing is giving gifts you kind of end it on a positive note so me as the as the presenting party i'd be like well can you give me a hug now because that'll make me feel more comfortable and then she responds by giving the hug so the whole essence of the intentional dialogue is is not only i can communicate but the other the other person so in this case she 
can make sure she fully understands what I'm saying. And it's been the, the best communication tool we've had because oftentimes in arguments, you immediately take, take your own side. And all you want to see and all you want to represent is your side of the battle, your side of the struggles, your side of the fight. So this forces you into a place where you're understanding the other side. And I think it's with that understanding that the person can really open up. And then once you have the empathy part down, then you want to fix it because then you're feeling the other what the other person's feeling. So that's been probably the strongest tool we've had in, in more recent months. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that resource. And we'll definitely uh, put that information in the show notes for any listener who wants to find it as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you've given a ton of valuable information and tips for anybody out there. But do you have any other, you know, tips that you kind of wish you had known or little pieces of information when you were getting into this that looking back you think would have been really useful to you? Probably the biggest tip that I have is that tip on on jealousy, to remember that jealousy is most frequently coming from a place of insecurity in yourself and to really do a lot of self-reflection on where that jealousy is coming from, what's what's actually causing it, what's the emotion in you behind it. And then um, I feel like once you've understood that, uh, it, it makes the whole it makes other partners a lot more easy to deal with because you're no longer feeling that hostility towards them and you're able to feel that out. Not only that, but it, it reveals, it it reveals for you a, an element of the relationship that's not quite working. So then you and your partner can come together and be like, I have been experiencing jealousy because I feel this has been doing this. We need to talk about it and try and come up with a way to solve that problem. And I think that that's another aspect of that communication where you can really kind of, well, some before they become serious issues and potentially ruin your relationship. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So one of the one of the last things we like to ask people are oh. before you get going on that, I have a couple other questions. They're they're quick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to to no, jump. Go ahead. The first was I was curious why you decided it's obvious you're very passionate about polyamory and your um, psychology work and studying all that. When you initially went into, you said veterinary medicine, right? What was it? Did you attribute getting into polyamory polyamorous relationship to your change in your studies? Not a, hmm, that's a difficult question. (laughs) Not exactly. Um, I decided to, uh, to kind of abandon my pursuit for veterinary medicine because of the workload and my distaste for science and math. (laughs) I've forgotten about when I wanted to go down that path. And I've kind of always been drawn to psychology my entire life. Uh, Most people who study psychology will say that they're the person in their friends group that everybody comes to to talk to and stuff like that. So my interest in psychology existed before it. Um, the reason why I say it's kind of a difficult question is my journey into psychology and my journey into polyamory happened at the almost the exact same time. So they've kind of really fed into and fed off, off of each other in a way where it's, it's really difficult for me to tease those two apart in my life. They've kind of been this uh, a congealed force of change in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't say for sure how one influenced the other. I just know that I've done a lot of learning about each of them from each other. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's a great answer. I just was curious about that. And uh, the other question I had for you was, um, you haven't mentioned any children, so I'm assuming you guys do not have any children um, living with you. (laughs) But is that something that, um, I guess, has been discussed, if you're willing to share that? It's been discussed many times. Mm -hmm. Um, We, my wife and I do not have any children. Her metam- or her partner, my metamorph, does have a child. She doesn't live with us, but she's around a lot. But yeah, we have discussed the the idea of having children within the relationship. But both of us have been going through so many changes, and and um, both of us being in school and changing our majors and stuff like that has made it really difficult for us to even consider a family right now. Yeah, but we're definitely open to it in the future. Yeah, uh, that that's very interesting. I think that. Um it's something that also evolves, you know, that conversation. And I think you, yeah. you know it or you don't when, <laughs> when you're ready. Um, right. Along the same lines, kind of, as like future um, potential mm-hmm. children down the road, how, do you guys mm-hmm. see how your relationship might further change in the future? I know you mentioned that there's always the 
potential possibility for separating, but that's not going to come unless that, you know, certainly happens and there's a situation where that's, um, that crossroads comes, but do you see any other, 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 do you see any other potential changes? I mean, I would say nothing that I can predict. I'm very, I very firmly believe in, in relationship fluidity. I believe in everything fluidity, but Mm -hmm. really firmly believe in relationship fluidity. Um, and just the, potential and the ability for two people in a relationship to come back together and and just continually discuss the relationship and change it as 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 the needs arise for a change in the relationship so i will say as of right now we're both very comfortable where we're at where we are at and uh don't see any change on the horizon but uh if one came about we would definitely just kind of come together and and discuss it and, and see where we both stand on it yeah i that's what i kind of expected your answer to be but i wanted to ask anyway Mm -hmm. Am I allowed to ask the resource (laughs) (laughs) No, I do appreciate all the extra info. I mean, it wasn't that I wanted to race to the end of the interview, so. No, I just was, I had been stewing (laughs) questions in my head. (laughs) So, yeah, again, you mentioned a lot of resources throughout the show. Are there any others that you found particularly useful when you were navigating this uh, journey that you wanted to share before we wrap? wrap things up a little bit i wouldn't no no probably not the the, the most important one i feel and, and a lot of poly people cited as the as the poly bible is that book more than two it it um comes from a perspective of a couple that's been in a poly relationship for i believe it's 10 years um so they and they know a lot of poly people and have a lot of experiences and it kind of just lays out some some groundwork for people it, the purpose of it isn't necessarily to lay out groundwork, but it talks about experiences that you can that you can expect to have. Okay. So it gives people a lot of clues as to what they can expect, and and then you can start thinking about it potentially even before it happens and kind of plan for it and stuff like that. So, yeah, probably more than two would be the one the one uh, resource that I recommend the most. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I guess before we wrap it up completely, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure the to tell us or to tell the listeners that we should know before we say goodnight? No, just I, I really appreciate having um, all the various resources, but in this case, especially your podcast out there for people to learn from. I, I stumbled across your podcast um, because I had started to listen to a lot more of the of the ones focusing on monogamy because of wanting to do research on poly. And yours is one of the only ones that I've continued to listen to because a lot of the other ones have turned me off. But yeah, so just wanted to say that I really appreciate what, what you all are doing and um, and just getting the word out there and, and as the podcast says, normalizing it. Yeah. yeah, but we appreciate it. Yeah, that's amazing to hear. We're, we're really excited uh, to meet people like you and to talk to people all over about um, how different relationships work and be able to share that with everybody. So thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks for reaching out. And, and let that be a lesson to anybody else to reach out to us. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm in. The last thing I kind of wanted to mention, if I can plug myself a little bit, no, go um, ahead. I started an email address, um, polyresearcher at gmail.com for if anybody listening to this has any questions or any suggestions about like potential research topics or, or anything about poly, they can email me at that address and I'll do my best to try and connect with them and, 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 uh, and communicate with them. Okay. Perfect. Well, we'll put that in the show notes and, Make sure to put all the other resources in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. So with that, I guess we should say goodnight. Yeah. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good evening. You too. And it's us again. We got to come up with a better way. We said that like six episodes ago and you still haven't. It's the best way to come back. Thanks to Christopher for taking the time to talk to us, dropping all sorts of sweet knowledge on us. And yeah, it was a, it was an awesome conversation. So um, please do reach out to him via the email address that he mentioned. The, the notes for all of his resources are in our show notes, as always. In the meantime, we've got another crazy interview next week who who would have guessed i know that's kind of the premise of our show some new friends of ours and we're lucky to call them friends uh tiff and rach from the sapphic swingers 
uh, come on and really just destroy the integrity of our show for, <laughs> yeah. for, for over an hour. So. I wouldn't say they destroy the integrity. They, yeah, there was no had, integrity we to had a, with. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> no, it's a blast. They're a lot of fun. And they share lots of information. And this is our first uh, same-sex couple, so we're super excited about that. So everybody, come back one week from today. Let's make it happen. Yes, check it out. And in the meantime as well, don't forget to reach out to us. Website is normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Thanks, everyone. Oops, real quick, it's me again. I just wanted to say thanks to Christopher again, who mentioned during his episode that he doesn't mind if people fuck up his pronouns, which I just did like half a dozen times. So I really apologize, but um, yeah, so... Thank you. <laughs> you don't have an excuse. No, I don't. I just completely fucked it up. And <laughs> and so thanks, and we will see everybody in one week. 